0: everybody, welcome back to another episode of one of these years, our Detroit Lions podcast. For the Athletic, I'm of course Nick Bomberner along with Chris Burke. Hope everyone's voted today or has already voted. Chris, though, we've got, we're not going to talk about voting today, we've got other things to discuss. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's any better, but uh, we do have Lions Colts to break down here. First of all, Chris, how are we doing today? Uh... I mean, I
1: think it's at least. All an, I, I think it's yeah, at least an hour here to to kind of clear our minds. I, leave it to the NFL. I w- the NFL has done a very nice job of promoting, uh, like getting yeah. people getting people out to vote. But leave it to the league to leave the trade deadline at 4 p.m. <laughs> on November 3rd.
0: Like, not like you guys have anything else to worry about today. No big deal. It's the just buildings are
1: cool. I mean, teams aren't even allowed in their buildings today. So, I, right. Yeah, just. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, doing all right, hanging in there. We'll, uh. See yeah. what happens. <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll see where this goes. But we do have Lions schools to break down today. Obviously, we'll uh, get into it here in a second. Forty-one twenty-one Colts Lions. Of course, you know, come back after a week where you know they get to three and three, and and you know look like they're buyers uh, a little bit anyway with the Everson Griffin trade, and they're not giving up on the season and all the things we've sort of talked about. And then they go out there, and you know, Chris, it was just another. Fam- it was fair. It was too familiar. I think overall, uh, you know, we can get into offense defense here in a second, but. I think when you look at the whole picture on both sides it was just a lot of familiar struggle errors little things that all added up to exactly what we saw
1: yeah and as uh we talked about in the press box and numerous people have pointed out to me in the comments the last two days it also felt pretty familiar to that Michigan performance <laughs> It <laughs> did. There, right? you're <laughs> right about that yeah yeah uh but yeah it, it was I mean a good start again and then a couple things go wrong and the wheels kind of come off for a while I, losing in the trenches I mean it was
0: yeah it was
1: interesting I can't remember I think it might have been Will Birchfield over uh one who's uh kind of mm-hmm. one of those like a really good uh voice kind of a sleeper voice in this market but, yeah uh, yeah will uh, I think he wrote wrote after the game kind of the comparison of Frank Reich and Matt Patricia cuz they've mm-hmm. they're kind of been on the same timeline uh and it was interesting watching that game cuz the Colts to me look like what the Lions want to be you mm-hmm. know they're really good in the trenches they ran the ball and they needed to in the 4th quarter they uh, had a couple downfield shots, but most of it was manageable and just the quarterback making good decisions and uh, they came up with a couple turnovers and like if the Lions played a a perfect game, I think it would look a lot like what Indianapolis did on Sunday so that's I don't know I feel like that's got to be tough for matt Patricia to kind of digest as he's watching the film just seeing another team you know do the things so well that he can't get his team to do
0: yeah, the little stuff, right and i I guess that's as good a time as I need to start maybe we'll start with the defense here I mean when you look at all the things Phillip Rivers was able to do to Detroit, you know, in the past game. And I mean, obviously Indianapolis is a team that's got, you know, a pretty salty front and they can get after it, you know, better than the Lions can. But you know, the Lions mixed coverages. Um, again, you know, they, they gave them different looks. Again, I think they did a decent job of that. But really what it all comes down to is and this is why, like you said, Chris, this is what's going to frustrate the hell out of Patricia, is that they're constantly suffering from these individual errors within a scheme where it's this like 10-man football not no pun intended because they did have 10 men on the field a few times, <laughs> but it's like the 10-man football stuff, you know, where they're struggling with, you know, the bunch formations where you get the rub routes and you get guys and you got to sort it out, you know, off the snap. They're struggling with that. They're struggling to to pick up, you know, motion pre-snap and and ride through it and stay on their own level and, and not get caught up in, in the wash. They're struggling with getting turned the wrong way, you know, maybe in match coverage or something, and then getting beat inside or just a hair too late here or a hair too late there. And you got a guy like Rivers who's seen every coverage that's ever been invented. And, you know, he's not, he's not Philip Rivers of 10 years ago, whatever that is or was. But, like, he's still a smart player who can get the ball there if you're going to give him time or give him a little bit of a window. And the Lions did that pretty consistently. It wasn't one person. It wasn't one thing. It was like a 100 things. And, it, you know, it felt like a pretty vintage here we go again, you know, a performance from uh, Patricia defense. Just across the board, it really wasn't one thing at all. I mean, I can't stress it enough. It was just so many different little detail misses that led to, you know, how the hell do they have 41 points? Well, that's how.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think you got to give Philip Rivers some credit, too. Oh, yeah, I mean, there I was too. a lot of – he was taking some heat even in Indianapolis about being, like, maybe the guy who holds them back. And I thought he played pretty well. He felt the rush when they happened to get there the few times uh, mm-hmm. and stepped up pretty well. The throw he made – um but one touchdown pass to Hines, Naheem Hines up the mm-hmm. sideline against Tracy Walker like you can't make a better throw than that i mean so he yeah. he took advantage of some of the opportunities he had but yeah i mean you're right and i think i think uh, you know again that's kind of the conversation i'm having with people on on twitter over the last couple of days it seems like they haven't really solved a lot of these problems even as they try to mix you know man and zone it is those same things i mean the very first completion for for indianapolis they uh, brought Jordan Wilkins. You had him, their running back had him lined up wide against, mm-hmm. I think it was Oro uh, Motioned him in, yeah. ran the shallow cross, ran four guys, you know, up the field and cleared everything out. And Oro looped way out behind everything, like yeah. a 20 yard cushion <laughs> and couldn't chase it down. And so they just have these plays where they, uh, just can't seem to find answers regardless of what defense they're throwing out there and and teams just keep hitting them with it that you know those shallow crossers the fades from the slot like it's a lot of the same stuff over and over again
0: yeah they got Orie again on the same thing later on another scoring drive too where it was just another deal where it was bunch right and you know he's responsible for the guy that's going to ultimately cut through those two you know, sort of uh, pick routes and he can't get over it. You know, he can't get over the top or he, can, he doesn't read it in time or they don't have it sorted well enough or whatever it is. But, you know, that's the stuff we're starting to see again. And, you know, last year when I remember back, there were just so many times where it looked, it looked like, you know, if they did try to throw zone or they did try to do something different, there'd be busts or there would be somebody just going this not even in the right zip code of where they're supposed to be. And I feel like they're they're better in that area now. I don't feel like we see as many like what are you do where are you going you know type busts. But we what we do see are the things like you just said, like Owaye not getting on a proper level and on you know on sort of IDing and man coverage what he needs to be doing there because obviously they're running across here and obviously they're trying to pick you and trying to get you caught and you've got to be ready for that or you know that that sideline uh, route to Himes that touchdown where he comes down in motion and Tracy Walker is supposed to be, you know, sort of carrying him and he just stops. And when he cuts back to the, to the wide side of the field, there is nobody there. And so there's these little things, you know, the eye discipline or, you know, making the right, you know, you know, flip with your head. I don't know what it all is, but the, the, the detail work, the stuff that they've preached over and over that Patricia has talked about, you know, this is what we want to live in. We want to be perfect in these areas. Like these are the things that are, that are killing them still. And, um, it's just you know, it's it's hard for people to see because it just continues to happen, and it's you know Justin Coleman didn't help. That was probably Tracy Walker's worst game uh, yeah. certainly of the season, and uh, just a lot of stuff that added up to it.
1: Yeah, I, that uh, touchdown play you're talking about was was pretty nice to watch. Yeah, just about, like as a as a football viewer, it was a great yeah. design. They executed it well, uh, but yeah, I mean I think you're right, and I think that that's you know I I didn't mean to necessarily like hang or worry out to dry I think that Mm -hmm. if you're talking about those if you're playing man coverage like you were saying against those the bunch formation and there you got a couple rub routes there the guys are running a you know two-yard cross there's not a lot you're going to be able to do from a cornerback spot I mean a lot of that goes back to just how you're covering it and what you're choosing to do defensively and I think that they keep getting caught in these in-between spots where they as we've talked about they really want they want to be in man uh mm-hmm. i mean Corey unland said in his dream world i think he'd play zone all the time but i think with the way this team's built and the way matt patricia wants his defense to function you know they want to be able to play man as much as possible and just kind of take away guys on the outside but uh you know then you run into problems with with that type of offense when you're facing it it's why minnesota's giving him so much trouble if you're yeah. looking ahead to, to this coming sunday um and i think the other problem is here you, you're talking about the not maybe trusting things in zone, they're still bad in the second level. You know, mm-hmm. their linebackers are not guys that you're going to trust to find those those zone coverages and just lock up spaces of territory. Maybe Jamie Collins can do that and yeah, occasionally yeah. Reggie Ragland, but, like, when they've got Tavai and Davis out there together and they drop into zone, I mean, that throw's going over the middle of the field somewhere because you know that there's going to be a gap. So, um, yeah, I just don't. I don't really know. I mean, I guess this is important to try and spin it forward. Is there a fix here? How do you get better at this without the next 9 opponents just doing the same thing to you over and over
0: again? I mean, that's the thing that we talked about yeah in January before the pandemic and it was about, you know, when so many people were focused on, you know, they've got to play more zone or they've got to blitz more and all this and it was like, no, like they've got to they've got to get guys better. They've got to get guys better at doing you know these little things. They've got to develop a warrior. They've got to get Okuda in there and develop him. They've got to get Walker better. And you know the pandemic obviously, you know hurt some of that. But at the same time, now here we are in, in November. You know, and, and it's been you know three months. And you know Tracy Walker can't have his worst game of the year in November. Like you can't. It's got you've got to be getting better now. You know, like that's the stuff that that's frustrating because he's too good for that stuff. I mean, he's a capable. He's a capable. You know, box defender who should be able to cover a tight end, who should be able to to be in stride with some of these guys. I mean, you're not asking him to line up and like shut down Travis Kelsey or some of these guys, but like, an Indianapolis had I can't remember the guy's name, but he's a good player, the tight end that they had there. But I mean, it's just you know, there's instances Doyle, Allie like Cox, they got a couple of them. There. Yeah, they've got some yeah. good players, but I mean, it's another instance of that where it's like we've seen Tracy Walker got, and I'm picking on him because he's better than this and I think that that's the situation and he probably even admitted to you like that was not a, what was it, seven targets seven catches two everything was too easy and that's the kind of stuff and I think he even get, got credited for giving up three touchdowns like that's got to get better like that's the stuff that has to improve Okuda's improved in some areas uh but you know you'd still like to see more in others and and Awarie I think we've all agreed that he's gotten better this year but the strides need to start continuing, and it was just these detailed little things. And then the other thing that gets disappointing for me when I watched that was, you know, and I know he's been hurt, but Justin Coleman is getting a lot of money here. He's getting paid a lot of money to be, you know, a really steady, good, locked-down slot corner, and he is just not that. Like, that is hard to swallow because when you talk about how do you get better and what are the answers yeah you need to develop these younger guys underneath but like the guys you are paying the money to i mean they've got to show up and like it's not happening and you know that's that's hard to look away from you know and uh you know we still haven't seen anything from true font and even when he was healthy that wasn't great so i mean those are a lot of things that just sort of add up to you know more frustration and you know just not enough progress i guess uh in moments because again like we talked about this last week, you, you made a trade, you got people excited, and maybe in, even in your own building, you know, like, hey, we're 3-3, three and three, we clawed back, we have a chance here. And then to come out against a team that, you know, Indy's a good football team, but that's not an impossible win. And to just, you know, do the same stuff that we've seen all I mean, it's just like, how? How does that happen after all the stuff, everything they did to claw back, and I, you know, forget good team, bad team, whatever. There's, there's truth to what Reggie Ragland says when he says to hell with anybody who says this team's good and this team's not good. See NFL, like that's true to a degree, but at the same time, like big games are big games and you got to be ready to go. And they just, for whatever reason, they just keep freezing. And like, that's kind of the sign of a average to below average team.
1: And again, what you're mentioning there, that, you know, you kind of circle the guys on this roster who need to be, who need to be really good right now. And it's, you know you talk about walker you talk about coleman because yeah. you've got young guys on the outside i mean those were for whatever reason they tried to fight it with tracy walker and maybe maybe they saw some of this maybe this is why he wasn't a lot yeah, in maybe. starter headed into the season because it, as you're talking about i mean pro football focus does have him with mm-hmm. five touchdowns against which matches a total from last year a 73 percent reception rate a qb rating of 140 on passes thrown his direction so you know i I I don't think he's been that good in coverage this year. I think we've seen teams – you know, the Colts definitely went after him. The Mm -hmm. Packers went after him a little. I mean, there have been teams that have not shied away from him at all. And, um, you know, you're putting a lot on his shoulders to be a dominant defender in in year three, but really they need him to be a lot better than this. And same with Coleman. Like, that was supposed to be a big boost to get him back Sunday. And I'm sure there was some rust, especially this year when you're – you know. Rehab and everything's going to be kind of scattered, but right. that wasn't good enough from him. I mean, you, you can't as maybe, you know, it was sort of a, a it could have gone either way that pass interference against him, but mm-hmm. you know, that's a play third and 14, like a turning point in the game. You got to make that play. Yes. Like you have to make that play. It's not like you're again, it's, you know, you said, it's not like you're asking Walker necessarily to take away Travis Kelsey. Uh, I forget who even the receiver was on that play. <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter. Yeah, right. It didn't matter. Uh, yeah, it wasn't like you know. It wasn't like in a you're covering uh, what Julio Jones. Julio Jones you know? on that yeah, moment, right? right. Yeah. yeah, I right. mean, it's just it's, you've got to come up with those plays, and I think that a lot of that goes, you know, yes, there is a lot of this on the coaching, but. Uh, this is the same, you know, I don't think you can take it fully away from the players either. Like some of these guys just have to be better. They just yeah. like if there's no path forward, if Tracy Walker and Justin Coleman are going to play like this the rest of the year, there's just not because teams are just going to keep throwing the ball all over the place on this Lions defense.
0: Yeah. And I think the the if there is a silver lining at all, you know, in something like this, it would be that, you know, and while at the end of the game, it might not have felt like it because, you know, Indy was just grinding it out. I thought they fit the run better again, you know, early. I thought, you know, they, they the Indianapolis got some stuff on the edge. Um, you know, and, Ray, and Rivers I think was able to get them, you know, into favorable situations at the line of scrimmage and sometimes that happens with, you know, a better quarterback if you're if you're aligned a certain way, he can get he can get out of it. And they they did, you know, a nice job of picking their spots. But, you know, Pennicini continues to be, you know, a factor inside, I think. Shelton continues to be the guy that I think you and I both Thought we would see after you know watching him in camp, you um, know Deshaun Hand has made some plays the last couple weeks. He seems like he's more engaged. Uh, Nick Williams is, is you know hanging in there. I mean uh, up front, you know when those got when when you know, when your front whatever it is if it's three or four or whatever when they when they've been able to keep you know Collins clean and Reggie Ragland clean and let those guys sort of flow where they need to go, they're much better against the run. But it's still not you know when when nothing works behind that it all sorts starts to fade away when we go right back to the beginning of the of the page here where the whole thing starts all over again and, and and that's the frustrating part because it does feel like they have made progress in some areas and then in other areas it feels like they've regressed.
1: i i mentioned our report card this week you know i thought i agree i thought the run defense started off really well if when it was got to 35 21 the colts averaged yeah. like six yards per carry on the drive after that but the Defense had been on the field at, like, mm-hmm. 34 minutes at that point. So I think some of that was probably just fatigue. They also lost Trey Flowers yep. at some point in there. Um, so, you know, you're playing a little shorthanded then. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that that's been that and the kind of gradual development of the young cornerbacks have been kind of the two things that I think you hang your hat on. And maybe, I guess, Romeo Okora's play, you know, yes. that, that's, yep. that's really – if you're looking for bright spots, I think those are the three: the run defense, Okora, and kind of that. I do think that there is uh, progress being made by Jeff Okuda on a mm-hmm. week-to-week basis. So uh, it's there's some stuff that's that's positive in there, but it kind of gets overwhelmed by the negatives when you're giving up. I mean, I guess only five of those touchdowns were on the uh, defense. Yeah. Stafford through the other one, but still, you're giving up 35 points on defense. That's that's going to be tough to overcome, even on a good offensive day. So it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how they, you look at, you looked at the schedule and said, all right, this was where they needed to make some, Hey, this was the one game that stood out as you know yeah. a, a real contender that they had to go up against and they got clobbered. Now you turn around, you've got uh, two or three more games that are definitely winnable, but then it gets back into the, into the gauntlet again. So I don't know. They don't look like a team that's ready to make a four or five game run here and right. really get into the playoff race. And, uh, I yeah. I, again, I just don't know how you fix it defensively, especially with Flowers going down. Everest right. and Griffin maybe covers some of that up, but that's a big loss. He's been playing very well, even if the sack numbers haven't been there.
0: Yeah, and before we switch to the offensive side and some of the stuff that's really frustrating the hell out of me more than anything else here, <laughs> stick on <coughs> stick on the Flowers thing for a second because you know you're bringing Griffin in, you make that trade, and we've talked a lot about how you know is this going to be the same exact thing as what it was you know what 2 years ago when they traded for Damon Harrison and then immediately <laughs> immediately became you know went from maybe we can contend to okay maybe not and now what do we do here you know where do they go i guess without flowers because part of this sort of resurgence in the front seven i don't know if i want to call it a resurgence but the improvement has been you know that they've put so much on his plate i don't it's it's going to be a real challenge here i think i could be wrong but i think that the the folks who think Trey Flowers doesn't give enough are going to really see what Trey Flowers gives over these next three weeks because I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, I don't know if Everson Griffin is, is the answer to, to filling in for, for Flowers. That's not why they brought him in here, obviously. So, you know, I'm not sure kind of kind of where they go there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Everson Griffin gets you some of the way there. Uh, yeah. Like he's a – He helps, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's more like a classic 4-3 end. So he can, he's a guy that can help you against the run. They obviously know he can pass rush a little bit, so he'll – He'll be in there some. I mean, I th- I would assume that your early down stuff is pretty exclusively going to be that Williams, Pennacini, Shelton mm-hmm. combo that we've seen. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe just because that group's been playing so well, it alleviates you know the loss of Flowers a little bit. His snap count had gone down the past two weeks anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I he's he's their most versatile guy You're up right. front in a defensive line that really covets versatility, and you know that third down those third down plays the reason a lot of the times that you're seeing you know a linebacker flying in over the middle or Romeo Okora locked up one-on-one on the edge is because Trey Flowers is tying up two and three guys in the middle mm-hmm. playing nose tackle on passing downs I don't know where they go to there maybe that's Sean Hand yeah. uh, maybe they get Danny Shelton some pass rush reps I'm not sure but yeah that's a big loss for them I, I do think Griffin helps I think he seems motivated certainly and he gets you know his former team in the first game which I'm sure will have him playing pretty well but He's, yeah, like you said, it's not, that's certainly not a one for one swap to bring yeah. an Everson Griffin for Trey Flowers. And the dream was to have it all kind of, Exactly. I mean, I yeah. think the dream was to have Griffin Flowers Okwara on third downs basically. And now you don't have that.
0: I think it's a good, you mentioned it there. If we are ever going to see uh, a, a corner turning thing from Deshaun Hand, then it probably needs to be right now. And, uh, and if we don't, because I think he's going to get you – know, like, I mean, I think just by default he'll get more of an opportunity. If we don't, then, you know, that's one, where, another one where you look at and say, what is really even happening here? But moving forward uh, to the offensive side of the ball, uh, and this is where I start to get really head-scratching because all the things we talk about defensively are things that we knew were going to happen this season. We knew that they were going to have a, you know, tough time with the young corners, bringing them up to speed in a tough spot. We knew that they were going to have issues. We knew that – the ceiling defensively was just not going to be great. It might have been playable. It might have been decent. It might have been average. But the offense was going to have to be something more than than what we saw or what we thought we would see or whatever. It was going to have to be something different. It was going to have to be more explosive. It was going to have to take advantage of some of the stuff that they have on the roster, and I got to tell you, it just – this is getting ridiculous now. Some of this – some of this 1990s football. I mean like, you know, like and again, like we talked about the third downs. They were 14 third downs with an average of 10 yards to go. Like, an average of 10.07. So technically, they could have taken they could have taken a damn knee every time and it would have been, you know what I mean? So like Right. That is you can yell about Matthew Stafford all you want, blame the offensive line all you want, whatever. That is on the sideline. That if you are putting your team in an average of 3rd and 10 points 07 over 14 third downs in an NFL football game your entire offensive staff needs to go back and figure out what the hell they're not doing and fix this because you're not helping your defense and most important you are not helping Matthew Stafford uh and that is at this point it's getting a little it's getting a little tough to swallow.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I was Born and raised in Michigan. I'm in my late 30s, so like 90s Big Ten football is very near yeah, and dear to my we've heart. We've seen it. Right. Yes. <laughs> you know yeah. they got, I very much appreciate an inline tight end and right. a linebacker with a, the neck roll and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But this is not right. Tyrone Wheatley against Purdue. No. Uh, you know, you can't just line up and mash teams in the middle. This was another thing we talked about in the press box. Like running between the tackles is maybe the hardest thing for an oh. offense to do in the yeah. NFL and so to just continue to hammer your head against that wall and especially to do it on early downs it just it just puts you in such a rough spot to start possessions and start drives and I I really don't understand the mentality you know Patricia's said it time and again and a lot of NFL Sub- coaches subscribe to it. Not all of them. As we've mm-hmm. seen, a lot of teams are very creative what they do, but there Patricia certainly subscribes to the idea that you need to be able to run the ball when, you know, quote unquote, the other team knows you're going to run it. Yeah. And my counter would be, is that the other team should never know when you're going to run it exactly. because you, you have enough weapons to spread the field and not be so predictable. And you, again, talk about watching the Colts and then watching the lions and contrasting it and, and thinking, well, that, That's what it could be, and they're using Wilkins and Hines and all these guys, and bringing them emotion and Mm -hmm. and you know running crossing routes with them, and just finding different ways to get them involved in the game. And you know some of that the the touchdown that we talked about, the Hines one where he motioned in behind uh, Rivers and then looped back out. I mean that's that's a pretty high percentage throw. Yeah, that you don't have to worry. I mean if you're really worried about stopping the clock and and controlling tempo and all that, that that one's pretty safe. Uh, and there's a lot of opportunities to do that, that the Lions just don't take advantage of. And it, it is frustrating because DeAndre Swift was out there 38, 39 snaps on Sunday. They threw to him three times. Uh, he had a two yard catch in like the second quarter. And then he had two catches on the last drive when it was 41, 21 and that was it. Yeah. Uh, and so you got to find a way I, you're right. You just, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe, That if you're, you know, as we're looking for silver linings, there isn't much of one in losing Kenny Galladay for, uh, you know, a week to week injury, but maybe that forces you to be like, all right, well, let's just figure out how to get Marvin Hall and Jamal Agnew and DeAndre Swift the ball in space and see what they can do.
0: Yeah. I mean, you said it with the, with the Himes play there. The Lions can run that. They have, they have the personnel to do all of those things. They have, like, what we saw what some of the stuff that the Packers do, you know, with Aaron Jones and uh, the other backs that they have, where they're both on the field at the same time, and they're they're using them in motion to create mismatches, and they're confusing people with what they're with what they're able to do. DeAndre Swift should never leave the field. Like that's I don't know how else to say this anymore. He should be, and if you want to have Adrian Peterson in there too, then fine. But Swift should also be in the game. Like he should be someone that you're moving around and messing with people. And if he comes out, Agnew should be the guy coming in to replace him. Like, when Galladay goes down and gets hurt, that's difficult. But then when we see, you know, people talk about this Travis Fulgham stuff all year, right? Like, Travis Fulgham has 200 catches already for the Eagles, and why do the Lions cut him and all, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, okay, I get all that. But also at the same time, like, if you're the Lions, you cut him because you thought that Marvin Hall, Agnew, Cephas, and these other guys were worth keeping. So play them. And why are we reading about you working out Muhammad Sanu? <laughs> To come in. It's like you've got these guys on your team. That's not the one. That's not the Right. It's like you've got these guys that are here that you believed in in camp. Like, let them play. Like, let them do their thing and stop with this ridiculous clock-turning crap that doesn't – it's not going to work. You have to be able to score. You have a quarterback who can do a lot of stuff if you let him do it and you give him some help, and it's just been too – much of the same stuff. Every time Peterson's in the game by himself, we know what it's going to be. If it's not, you know, an inside zone, it's going to be play action with a two two man route down the middle. And, you know, if they're playing zone deep over the top, it's not going to work. That's what they are doing. And everyone knows it. And so when Stafford goes back in those deep pockets and, you know, folks are blaming the offensive line and, you know, rightly so. I mean, guys didn't have a great day. But, I mean, it's not hard. I mean, Indy's just sending people and saying, I know what you're doing. You're running a two-man route. You're keeping everybody else in, and you're just running play action or inside zone. This is really easy. This isn't hard. This isn't hard to figure out, and you're not better than us, so we're going to stop not it, right. and that's that's it.
1: Yeah, and it's – I think that it's – again, you go back to sort of the frustration level. The best drive they had in that game was the their first touchdown of the second half, which – was without Galladay on the field, it was mostly Hall out there as their second yeah, receiver. Yeah. Marvin Jones to, said it. Yep. Yeah, they went to tempo. They kind of had the Colts off balance. So that's what Jones like you said, that's what Jones said mm-hmm. after the game. Like we've we had them kind of on their heels there, and then they didn't really do that again. You know, right. <laughs> and so you get it to twenty to fourteen, and then you're back within a spot where maybe they feel they can kind of control the game again, and you see some of the runs that don't go anywhere, and uh, and it is it's really hard. To figure out what they're trying to do offensively, I'm. I mean, I guess, and maybe that's the wrong wording. I think it is. It's too easy, I guess, to figure out what they're trying to do offensively, Uh, and it's hard to figure out why they're not opening up this playbook and letting Stafford uh, just go a little bit. You know, on the Fulgham thing, real quick, just because, Mm -hmm. you know, I spent two. (laughs) Uh, training camps, watching him. Um, And I guess, I mean, you should mention that the Packers also picked him up and cut him. That's a team that needs a wide receiver. So I don't think anyone really saw. It certainly was some upside. I don't think anyone saw this. Um, And I go back to like, even his rookie camp, I don't even think he was the best receiver from old dominion on the roster. (laughs) Like (laughs) I think Jonathan Duhart was better than Travis Fulgham during the whatever, 2019 uh, preseason, mm-hmm. so um, there was some upside there. I mean, he flashed; like he looked like it made sense that he was on the Lions roster because he was—he's a guy that looks pretty similar when he's performing well to what Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones can do. You put him outside, you let him yeah. get some one-on-one matchups. He's great with his body control. You know, he's pretty good with his routes, and he can go get in the end zone. And it's a lot of the stuff that you—you know—you looked at and saw. Well, if they develop this, um, I, I think it could be—it could be decent down the line, but. He didn't really play on special teams for them. Like you said, they had five guys coming back, plus they drafted Cephas. It just was a numbers game, and now it looks horrible. I think in the moment it made some sense. You know, sometimes you're just going to miss, and this one is starting to look like a particularly bad miss, but, uh, you know, it's not one where we're, like in hindsight, it's not one where you're looking back and say, well, everyone said you should have kept him. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it's just. He found a really good spot with a team that was desperate for receivers, put him in an opportunity, and he's taking advantage of it. But that the re- not having Travis Fulgham right. is not why this offense no. is struggling because he, he'd be where Quintus Cephas is. He'd be he inactive be every yeah, Sunday. Right.
0: Yeah, he wouldn't be playing, and that's the that's kind of the point, right? Where it's like we you got to get. And I know that some of the reps have evened out some, but you know, like Amandola getting forty one. I mean, like some of this stuff. I don't know. I mean, at, at this point, it just feels like again, and I know this has happened so many times over the years with different offensive coordinators and different this and different that, that they're just, again, asking Stafford to do way too much without enough help and without enough help from the sideline in terms of creativity to sort of get them in position to take advantage of the things that everybody else in the league takes advantage of, except for them, I guess, and maybe the Titans. You know, I guess, is there anybody else that
1: doesn't... Ryan, Ryan Tannehill's cooking pretty good this year. Right, um, but
0: if we go back and we look at the beginning of the year and we talk about, you know, all the stuff Stafford did last season with play action and some of those crazy numbers that he put yeah. up. And you wondered, you said, okay, well, if they, can, if they can match those, then this could be really good. But damn, that's going to be really tough to do because those were some crazy numbers. Like, I think Football Outsiders broke it all down and some of them were like... Some of the play actions, some of the play action like yards per attempt numbers in certain situations were like the highest they've ever charted, and and the question was, can can that keep up? You know, when teams are sort of maybe expecting that more, and the answer has been no. And yeah. but the problem beyond that was is that you know, and this is what everyone said was, well, okay, but you have guys within your system that you can do other things to where you don't just have to rely on that, and and it's just they're not they're not using anybody else; they're just relying on the its fastball is you know fastball is your inside zone play action and then your changeup is the stuff that we never see and then there's nothing beyond that and it's just like there's there's nothing there and and that's the frustrating part overall
1: and i think the desire to want to be in the play action stuff is why they keep hammering the run Absolutely. i mean i think that they're desperate to have that balance even if they can't find it i mean sunday they kept at it and kept at it because they want to be running those play actions and i think they maybe saw that as a way to kind of neutralize the pass rush if they could keep them off balance a little bit. And it didn't really work, but I think that that's why they keep hammering things. But again, you don't always have to run first down with Adrian Peterson. Like you can mix it up right. more than they have been. Um uh, How much of this, I feel like we always get to this point in alliance season, but how much of this do you put on Stafford? I mean, I, just, and even not, yeah. not even just his play. Cause I think Sunday was not great. Um I mean, he made, he did some really good things with the pressure coming to escape and just avoid sacks and get the ball out to play to haul downfield for the 70-whatever yarder. was just an incredible play, turned it over a couple times, missed some throws he should have made. But even beyond the play calling or even beyond the way he played, like is there any part of you that thinks that they are so close to the vest with what they do because they don't see him as – Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes? Like, are they just trying to game manage Matthew Stafford?
0: I mean, maybe. I mean, because I would, I go back in my head and I say, the Chicago game, Stafford was bad. I mean, there was there was there was game there was spots in that game that he missed stuff that he normally makes, and there was sacks that he took and all that. He wasn't great against Green Bay. It took him a month or so to get back into it. I thought, you know, these last two weeks were pretty vintage Matthew Stafford. They weren't perfect, but he grinded through them, and I thought. I mean frankly I thought this one while it doesn't look that way and obviously we can't you know sit here and say that he can't lose a fumble like that and he can't throw a pick you know you know in a situation where he can't see the guy coming but I mean I just yes part of it goes on him because you can't make those plays but I think a lot of those a lot of those things happen and we see those things happen at times and it was the same with Green Bay we see him make those mistakes when they're so backed up when they're in such a hole that he knows I have to go get this back now. Like they got a touchdown by him just running out of the pocket and chucking it 70 yards to Marvin Hall because he says to himself, <laughs> no one else is coming. It's just me yeah. now. I've got to figure this out. They're putting too much on him. And and maybe it is some of that. Maybe it is, you know, we don't think he – we don't trust – I don't know. Do you trust him in situations to make some of those throws that other guys make that, you know, they don't – you know, I don't know. I don't know what all that is. But whatever the, whatever the situation is – at at the start of the day, at the end of the day, it always ends up the same in that Stafford's in a a spot where he's scrambling for his life, not literally, but like fighting for his life on every play, trying to figure out a way to just kind of will the ball into spots downfield against coverage that's taking everything away, down 14 points, and, you know, you hope to God this works out. Like, and that is all stuff that it's not his fault that they're in those holes. And then he doesn't get them out of those ridiculous holes and people get upset about why didn't you get us out of these holes, you know, and that's, that's been his career. I mean, that's been Matthew Stafford's entire career. Right. I think at one point last year we were talking and I don't I mean I you I think you said this and it's like the most apt thing I've ever heard about Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford is Steve Iserman before the Red Wings decided to start helping Steve Iserman. <laughs> that's it. He he has done more than enough over the over these 10 years to be better than this. He hasn't been perfect. He hasn't been the best quarterback in the league, but he has done more than enough and they're not helping him and it's another example of that in like a seemingly endless book of chapters of this. And that's, that's how I look at it. I mean, he's not perfect, but they got to do better with this because he's good enough to get them a lot more than the, the, you know, than they end up getting.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's why I, I can't escape, I guess, the Stafford conversation because I I do think that, you know, you take him out of this, off this team and, and this is a disaster. We saw that last year, but the same time where you know we keep saying well they got to do more to help them they got to do more to help them and you look around at the talent on this roster mm-hmm. there are several playmakers on that offense they've spent a ton of money and draft picks and whatever trying to build up this offensive line they've gone through a ton of different offensive coordinators I just it's hard for me to envision what's going to make this click for 16 games at this point and that's yeah. not on Stafford you know I just just sort of when they play these teams and I kind of try to picture what it would look like if he was playing with mm. Frank Reich or playing, you know, with Kyle Shanahan or whomever, you know, some of these other coaches, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that from a personnel perspective, they've tried to, to help him out. And then from a coaching perspective, exactly. they keep slipping back into yeah. these, right. uh, these, these things that don't work. And so there's, again, it, that is a narrative that keeps coming up too. There's kind of this disconnect between what they're doing off the field and what they're doing on the field. And I don't really get it. I mean, I do think that there are some spots. Obviously, the offensive line was not good on Sunday. You know, they got right. clobbered inside. Dahl and Jonah Jackson weren't very good. Vitae uh, could barely walk in the second half and for some reason was still out there. Amendola, to me, like that was the one that. That's probably the most frustrating one for me because I think for two seasons now, maybe longer, you've sort of looked at this team and said, well, they're really missing a like a really dangerous kind of take-the-top-off guy from the slot. They need mm-hmm. that playmaker in the slot who's just going to open things up. And TJ Hawkinson does some of that. If they move DeAndre Swift out, he can do some of that. But Amendola is not that guy. I mean, he, no. he is just going to get you what he gets you. And if the defense forgets about him every once in a while, maybe he'll he'll turn in a big play. But uh, and they have those guys. They have Agnew and they have Hall. And I think that that's sort of what you're saying. You know, there's there's different ways to operate with the players on this roster, and it's just not happening. And Again, maybe Galladay being out forces you to get Hall and Agnew on the field more. I mean, that's I don't really see another counter here. Uh, Cephas playing, I guess, or (laughs) Mohamed Sanu swooping in on Sunday, but. I mean I think that that's got to be the counter moving forward. That's the way this offense gets to a point where it's dangerous enough week in and week out to kind of cover up all the things it needs to cover up for the rest of the defense and everything.
0: I just imagine what life would be like for the Lions if they could get if they could put Stafford in situations where he's just getting easy yards, you know, where he's where he's able to make easy throws for easy free yards that are schemed up before the play even starts. Because that's what everybody else does to the lion. I mean, we've seen this. Like, if you flipped it, you put him, like you said, for, with, with Reich, if you put Matthew Stafford in Phillip Rivers' spot on Saturday or Sunday, he would have looked like an NFL MVP. Because they're motioning people around. They're getting free, easy stuff. And then when it gets hard, you still have the ability to ask him to make a really difficult throw in a difficult spot and bail you out. What they do is they ask him to make the third and forever throw on, like, every snap. Like, that's what they ask him to do. They've done it forever. They did it with Calvin when he was here, and they, they're they starting to do it again with Galladay. And it's getting to a point where it's like, okay, well, we have Galladay, and he's a tough cover deep, so let's just run him deep and chuck it and see what happens. Like, offense is a lot easier than that, and there are things about the way the game is played today. Matt Patricia should know this. You, you know, there's stuff you can't do defensively anymore. You can't touch anybody's receiver. You can't grab. You can't hold. You can't push. You can't touch the quarterback. You can't hit him. We've seen that constantly. <laughs> so why aren't you taking advantage of all that stuff when you yeah. flip the ball around? And that's the hard part. And we've seen this a thousand times over the years with, with uh, defensive minded coaches that you know for whatever reason, just don't insist upon saying, okay, all the stuff that gives me fits as a defensive coach, I want to run all of that on offense like that. I don't get it. Like I mean, when we go back in college and look, like Nick Saban is the great example of of you know, that's why Nick Saban's the you know the best, obviously, but you know a coach that was able to see all the things that was giving him problems when he looked at defensive schemes and looked at how do I, you know, where am I getting beat? What, You know, where are problems popping up and all this? And while he's looking for answers on how to fix those, he's also telling his offensive staff, hey, run all of that because we can't stop it. That's it. I don't understand, you know, that's, that's the thing with Patricia where I think we both agree he's a smart football coach. He knows the game. Uh, If this ends tomorrow, Matt Patricia is going to have a job coaching football somewhere pretty soon, probably calling plays, right? I think we can all agree on that, or at least being heavily involved in something like that. It won't, you know, that's, that's him. But in terms of being able to see the full picture of, you know, you know, there are things that we can't do because the game is just a certain, why why aren't we embracing some of that on the other side of the ball? I mean, that's the stuff that's, that's holding them back. And, um, you know, they have a very specific plan and they don't like to deviate from it and, uh, when you can't adjust, you know you're sort of swimming upstream, especially in this league.
1: Yeah, and again, I I understand the need to run the football. I'm certainly not suggesting they throw it 60 times a game exactly. and never yeah. run it. It's how they run
0: it. And and you
1: also don't need. I mean, I I don't think you need to run something you know ultra creative every first down. But you kind of go back in that game. They it got this. It was seven to seven. The Colts had just scored their first play out of that. They brought Swift into the backfield. They ran a play action screen to Hawkinson that got like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they uh, brought Agnew in motion, tossed him a shovel pass for whatever he got 11, um, you know, going around the corner. And so there's definitely things in this playbook that can can open it up a little bit. But then, like, after the, the play action screen to Hawkinson, uh, they had an incompletion that that possession ended with a sack. They got the ball back and. They're, uh, they were down 14-7, and their first play after being down 14-7 was a zero-yard run by Adrian mm. Peterson right into the line. Yeah. And so it, it does sort of feel like, as we keep talking about, that when they get into these tight spots or when they get feel like the game's slipping away, they just revert to their absolute most basic instincts on both sides of the ball. Yeah. And those are the worst plays in their playbook, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just don't know... I just don't know that the switch is going to magically flip here. And I think that's the hard part because you could see a way that this gets a lot better, even without Galladay over the next nine weeks where you just see this offense and say, all right, we are not going to win games unless we just put, you know, leave it all out there right, right. from a playbook perspective, whatever we've got. Let's use it for the next few weeks and just see where it gets us. And there's been no indication that they're going to do that. You almost feel like it goes the other way. Like they're going to come out in Minnesota, be like, look, we don't have Galladay, We don't have flowers. We got to have the ball for 35 minutes. So go run 20 times Peterson and let's, let's just go from there.
0: Yeah. And maybe it won't work. Right. But I mean, you got to try. Like I think that's where I'm at with it. And there's no, there's no like concrete answer that, you know, if you, if you start, you know, running an offense that's predicated on, you know, finding underneath athletes who can get one-on-ones in space and, you know, motion being... You know, and a lot of that stuff, we've seen Daryl Bevel do some of this. I mean, he had to get creative last year when Stafford got hurt. They did some other things. You know, and there's no promise that it'll be the cure-all. But, like, at this point, I think we've seen enough to know that the, the original plan has got to go. Like, it's just not going to be this it's not going to work. I mean, you know, and then that's the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same exact thing over and over again when it doesn't work, especially when you have options, you know, on your roster to sort of maneuver around and at least make things a little more interesting, at least give somebody something that they weren't expecting or weren't prepared for or they're going to have to adjust. Instead of managing a game, why don't you attack a game for a change? Like that's, and I understand, Patricia's entire coaching philosophy is managing situations. It's managing situational football and adding all of those up at the end of the day for a win like there there probably is never going to be a win that he is more like over the moon about than the last two that they had especially the atlanta one right where it's like you can point back that atlanta game was one where you could point back to 17 different things where the lions won little one-on-one battles that added up in the end and obviously the crazy stuff has to happen but you can all point back to all the little stuff and he loves that, right? But there's also, that can happen while you're attacking, and they don't attack enough, and I think that that's, they kind of rope it open and hope that you screw up, but you can't really do that when your roster screws up just as much as the other side, and, and that's, and we go round and round on this, but that's where, you know, we wind up, it feels like, every time.
1: And that, and that to me, is, <laughs> that's why this season, and particularly this point of the season, just feels like the, they're at a very important crossroads for this franchise because there's not really a way forward where you just tweak this and see what it looks like in 2021. If this doesn't get better, the offense doesn't start clicking. If these defensive improvements don't take, you're basically, you have no choice but to get rid of your GM, get rid of your coach, Mm -hmm. get rid of your offensive coordinator, start thinking about what your Staffordless future looks like. I mean, this is... Either you win a few games here in November, or December, or this is a massive rebuilding project mm-hmm. moving forward. Yep. So uh, that that's pretty daunting to think about, and I'm sure for you know the the Ford family is is tough to look at, but that's kind of the reality of the situation because there isn't you know the Everson Griffin pickup is nice. Maybe you know we're recording Tuesday morning. Maybe they make another mm-hmm. kind of minor move here at some point before the deadline, but there's not. There's not a guy out there who's going to put this team over the top on his own. Uh, You know, fundamentally, something needs to change in the way that they're approaching these games on Sundays. And I don't I mean, we're two and a half years into this, so I don't know that that's going to happen.
0: 100 percent. I mean, you've got to make it work with what you have here now or you've got to call it for what it is. And it's got to be start, you know, it's got to start over because it's not like you said, it's not it's not one or two or three missing pieces. You know, it's not even that. It's not It's not one or two or three guys that can, you know, oh, well, if he were a little bit better here and here and here, this would be an 11-win team. No, that's not what this is. And so, yeah, these decisions about, and that's partially why, you know, last year when we talked about, you know, the Fords giving that, you know, kind of weird, you know, whatever, it's not really an ultimatum, but it's also kind of like we expected better from this. And I wondered at the time, was that, you know, maybe Sheila Ford's way of saying, I need more time to really evaluate all things here, like all factors. And, and, and a lot of that would be the discussion about what you just said. Like, what point do you get to where you say, okay, like, not only do we have to make a change, but it has to be like a wholesale, complete, pull the plug and start from zero again. And do we have the stomach to do that? And, uh, you know, I got to say, I, I if it doesn't happen the way that, you know, Maybe it could or should, or you th- you hope it would or should or whatever. Then, you know, are you going to have the stomach to do that? And and I think that that's the stuff that gets people really nervous. You know, fans and, and stuff like this. You know, we heard from people this week that were like, you know, I'm nervous that this team's gonna, <laughs> you know, trade a bunch of draft picks for a receiver again or something like that. Now <laughs> right. the Galladay's hurt right. mortgage yeah. mortgage the future more and all this and you know that's the awkward spot that they're in because you know we talk about the trade deadline and everything else and. You know, they did make a move and I don't think that either of us disagreed with the move that they made. I think that the thing for Griffin was totally fine and totally fair, but like you're out of you're out of opportunities to to keep sort of saying, Well, we just need one or two things to go our way this next offseason and we'll be right back where we need to go and and you know, it's kinda gotta be all or nothing now. And, you know, I think we've all known that and that's kind of it just feels like we're sort of hurtling toward that and I don't know when, you know, when rubber meets the road, but that's sort of what we're talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the Griffin trade was a good move. And especially now with Flowers out, it looks like a smart move. But, Mm -hmm. you know, if you want to get a sixth round, if you want to recoup a sixth round pick at some point before next April, you can go do that pretty easily. Um, So I think that that was fine. Uh, Yeah, it's – again, they're they're back in the spot where you really need to see wins, like, immediately. Or (laughs) I don't know what happens from here. Uh, One thing I did want to ask you about before we uh, get out of here – so, Phillip Rivers, after the game, uh, said something to the effect of, I, I can't even tell you how dead it was in that stadium. <laughs> and then Kelly Stafford uh, yeah. uh, went on Instagram and... Uh, agreed. Agreed <laughs> with it and you know said she was falling asleep at one point. <laughs> and, you know, I know every uh, every team, to some extent, is dealing with this. I know some some teams are up to... I don't even know what the Cowboys are letting in now. But, you yeah. know, some teams are in, like, the ten to 15,000... Uh, fan range. The Lions had 500 Mm -hmm. um, on Sunday. I will say, like I said, I know every team's dealing with this. I know everyone's uh, facing the same challenges right now, but I don't know that there's a team in the league that uh, feels the absence of home fans as much as the Lions do. I feel like they feed off it, especially defensively. We've seen some performances at home that don't necessarily line up with what you think are going to happen in a positive way for Detroit, and right. so I, I think that they are really missing that juice from the fans. But what's your uh, what's your yeah. opinion on the atmosphere? The five well, I know you got a kick out of the five hundred oh, fans booing the Colts yeah. when
0: they came out of the tunnel. It was perfect. It was like a it was like a youth soccer game or something where the other side <laughs> so, like the, the parents on this one side that were booing it. But no, I mean like the the other factor there too is like they play in a dome, so like yeah, they play inside. Right and you know i keep going back to the very, before the they let the fans in for these games where it would get just like awkwardly uncomfortably quiet when they have to cut the music and cut the little humming noise or whatever that thing is you know when somebody gets hurt or whatever i mean it's it's awkward and it's definitely something to where you know i i don't know what 15,000 people inside of a you know 40,000 or some sorry like 70,000 seat open air stadium i don't know what that i'm sure it's not nothing but, you know, at the same time, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you can do. I mean, you're trying to be safe. You're trying to to limit all that sort of thing. I think, you know, Kelly Stafford criticized the the stadium DJ, which, yeah. I, you know what? I mean, I, I don't agree with everything Kelly Stafford says, but that's that's one where I'd probably be okay with. I mean, we don't need the uh, ear bleeding, uh, you know, whatever every 13 seconds. But I don't know what you're supposed to do. I mean, it's a it's a tough spot, but it is... It is awkward. It did feel a little different um, with the, even with the 500 people in there, though, because so that that actually kind of does make me wonder, like, what if you had? And I'm not I'm not advocating for this. I don't I don't know if there's there's a case to be made that they should have anybody in there, to be honest. But if you had 5,000 people in there spread out, maybe it would maybe it would be a little louder. I mean, it's a roof, you know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe it would be something where it would help a little bit more. Uh, but I don't know what they're supposed to do from a game op standpoint. I, I don't know what uh, you can only play the simulated crowd noise I think at a certain level and you know it's hard to you can't you know I've kind of wondered sometimes where it's like they make a big third down stop and that and you hear that you know humming and you're kind of (laughs) expecting the humming to go up or something right and it can't and it's just like that's the awkward thing where yeah you really do have to create your own energy especially in a dome when there's nobody in there and uh, I do think it got to him early in the season I, I assume like Stafford said last week that it feels like NFL football now no matter what right like you know, everybody seems to be, and I think part of that was, you know, guys getting back into the groove, but also like, you're just kind of used to the situation. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what they can do there, but it's weird <laughs> for sure.
1: Yeah. Uh, they brought the drum line into they the did. stands oh, God. on Sunday and they played like <laughs> they <tried>. three times <laughs> yeah, in right. the game. I don't know why they were there. Uh, yeah, they did like some of the, some of the old scoreboard graphics. They played the, uh, the Lion King, you yeah, know, the Lion back. Kings yeah. the cub cam where people are supposed to hold up their kids. And it was, they just held it on like, one I think kid. it was Prater's it was kid. Like Prater. <laughs> and he, yeah, and he didn't want to look up. Yeah. Like forty-five <laughs> seconds. They put the uh, decibel meter up several times, like like they usually do when they're trying to get the crowd fired up. And it was like eighty or something, uh-huh. which was just I think the, I think you, the sound that they can play naturally is like I think it is like seventy-five decibels right. or something. The loop of uh, like B- a boozalas. couple of fans yeah, talking yeah, right. in the background. Yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, it is. It is awkward. It is strange. I mean, they haven't been, you know, you go back to last year and they lost their last four at home last year with a crowd in there. So it yes. certainly is not the reason, you know, the having 10,000 people in there wouldn't have been a 20-point difference. But I, I do think there's just, because it's a dome and because of the type of dome it is you know like i think minnesota and i wasn't in atlanta i'm assuming that atlanta stadium like i right. guess the roof opens there but like you know some of these places just have more of a natural ambiance to them and right. ford field's a fine stadium like it's a nice stadium but there's not a whole lot about that place that you right is going to get you naturally fired up to watch a football game
0: <laughs> No, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's an indoor uh, barn you know it's so just like,
1: yeah. um exactly. yeah i mean you're always going to have to generate some uh, some of your own mojo but yeah it was uh, <laughs> i don't know that's why i was looking down at the one point I, I told you like i was trying to see if any of the friends and family were like yeah,
0: i can't even watch this anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, so yeah. i think i think somebody said they saw a few heading for the exits with the in the fourth quarter and it was like okay well that's there's no traffic to beat you know and this is friends <laughs> right. and family so right. but no i don't know I, I can't imagine that was the difference but it is it is awkward it's still it's still a little weird but you know, as the game goes on, it gets more normal. So it's just, the I, I will say this: the Michigan Stadium was very weird. Um, hundred yeah. the, the hundred. I mean, it, I've seen spring games in there before that are not well attended and things like that. But like that was that was weird, and it was the same thing like the was when I when I've watched like Wisconsin play at uh, Camp Randall and. Ohio State and Ohio Stadium and, and my, that those are weird I think it's, I think it's worse deals. for college it is just because yeah. the
1: crowds. so I mean the crowd's important yeah. obviously in the NFL yeah. but the crowd it's just a different level in college so it is weird yeah the Wisconsin whoever they played at night in yeah. week one yeah like this is it was awkward this is yeah. strange yeah so I, I yeah I, I do miss the college crowds probably yeah. more than the NFL crowds but it I I think I'm gonna give a point to Kelly Stafford here probably I think we're on her yeah. side for
0: this one Probably could try something anyway. I uh, will see if anything changes going forward. We got anything else this week, Chris, or were you going to ride on out of here?
1: Uh, no, I think uh, we may as well get out of here and make sure they didn't trade anyone. <laughs> see
0: if, see make sure on. the world is still spinning as <laughs> yeah, we'll we uh, <laughs> go forward here. So we appreciate all the support for the show. As always, be sure to find one of these years wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and if you have a problem with any of those, you know, just hit Chris or I up on Twitter, and we can try to get that sorted out for you. Always be sure to rate, review, subscribe—all that good stuff. Um, until next time, Chris and I'll be back to break it all down again. We'll see how the trade deadline impacts everything, or how these injuries sort out. But uh, meantime, be good to each other. Go vote today if you haven't already. Uh, for Chris and Nick, we'll talk to you later.